miss an episode of The Andy Griffin Show? We've got you covered. Just go to 890kdxu.com and click on the podcast tab. Welcome to The Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. That's me. Thank you for tuning in today. It's a uh, toasty day, a smoky day. We'll have... Hey, Craig's going to come in a little while and give us a little uh, fire update. Fires are burning out west of Vail, fire, fire burning on the uh, Red Cliffs Desert Reserve. And uh, so uh, scary stuff, but uh, fortunately nobody has been injured or killed or anything like that. So that's good news. Uh, we have uh, I have a guest on the phone uh, today. Uh, we're going to call her Mrs. J. Uh, hi, Mrs. J. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for coming on today. Now, uh, by way of introduction, uh, Mrs. Jess, it's weird calling you that because we're friends, but uh, you have been a teacher in uh, St. George for how long now? Approximately? 21 years. Wow, 21 years. Obviously, we're all going through some unprecedented um, things in the world right now. Uh, But one of the things that's happened, of course, we had the school shut down back in March. uh, And then uh, now we're talking about uh, going back to school. You teach elementary school, and the governor has uh, issued an edict that all students and teachers and faculty and staff must wear masks. And I guess the the biggest deal, biggest thing I wanted to talk to you about today was uh, your thoughts on that. Uh, Well, elementary schools, teacher or not teachers, the students be able to do that. Well, it's been in my experience that kids are pretty resilient. And if we teach them and we have a really good attitude about our approach, they're pretty adaptable. It's the adults usually that have the hard time with change. Mm -hmm. Um, But refusing to adapt to our ever-changing world right now is really not going to get us anywhere because we all really want school to be back in session. And we have to remember that the people making these decisions are considering all aspects of safety for our kids, for teachers, for staff, and we all want the best for our kids. It's, It's not a light decision whether or not to go back to school or not. And the mask mandate is not coming from teachers or principals or even the school board. It's coming from our governor. So in order to start and go back to school, it's something we have to consider and figure out how we can come up with a solution to make this happen. You know, as you're talking about adapting, I'm thinking about maybe when you first started teaching school, you remember how open schools were? You could pretty much anyone could walk off the street. I mean, hopefully that didn't happen. But I remember as a parent going to elementary school and, and helping with my kids' classes. And, I, you know, when, it, when, I, when I first started, I didn't have to check in with anybody. In fact, I'd go in the side door. You'd let me in your classroom, and I'd help out with, you know, help out with the class. And, and as time went along over the next few years, uh, there were some safety concerns, and uh, I'm First, I had to check in, and, and then at one point, the school was locked down. I had to get permission even to come into the school. So, uh, I mean, things, it's, it's not like things have stayed the same for the last couple of decades. Things, things do change. Yeah, and right now, being in the midst of this pandemic, this is something that we've never seen in our lifetime. We have never had to deal with this, and it's a big deal. And it's not a one-size-fits-all solution because mm. for some people, it is a big deal. And for some people, it's not. And whether you believe in math or not believe in their effectiveness, because I, for one, in the beginning was like, I am never wearing a mask. That is so dumb. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but as time has gone on and I have listened and researched and thought about 
um, the information that's coming out on both sides, because it depends on where you look and who you believe. And so it's not a cut and dry decision. It's, and it's really up to people and making it a heated debate is not going to help anyone or anything in this situation. By the way, the uh, Washington County School Board is having a special meeting today at noon for those that want to come and, and voice their concerns or voice their opinions on either side of the of the debate. Now, I wanted to ask you as, as we're discussing this, and by the way, we're talking with a school teacher, an elementary school teacher, a couple of decades of experience here in Washington County, and we're not using her name because we don't want her to ha- get thrown into the, into the midst of this controversy, but... Uh, have you considered some of the scenarios, some of the individual scenarios that are going to come up? First of all, I mean, you as a teacher, an experienced teacher, you know there are kids that need that environment, the environment of being in school. What do you do if a parent says, well, I'm just not, I'm not sending my kid to school. I don't believe in masks and this isn't happening. Is there any recourse for you knowing that kid really needs that? Um, yes. Well, as teachers, we we believe in what we do, mm-hmm. and research research backs up in person education. Yeah, it, it you know by far is a better approach. But if a parent has concerns, or that child has special needs or health concerns, um, by all means, those parents are their voice, and they have to make that decision for their own kids whether or not to send them to school or not. It. I don't have little kids in school anymore, right. so I don't have to make that decision, luckily, because it's, you know, I have a friend that has five kids, and she's adamantly scared to death that she does not want to send her kids to school. And so each each parent has to make that decision for their for themselves. And I, But I don't think they should be able to come and go and keep changing their mind. And, and we'll see what the board has to say. The board and um, Superintendent Larry Bergeson has really put their thoughts and hearts behind this and really are going to come up with a plan. And so if you'll just give them a chance and tune into what their plan is and, and give it a shot and see how it goes before reacting, I think we'll go a long way. You, uh, you, you taught kindergarten for quite some time and now you're what third grade, is it? Second grade. Second grade. Uh, what what would be some of the differences? Uh, do you think it will be a lot more challenging for the younger kids? Or maybe the younger kids, like you said, they're pretty resilient. Maybe the younger kids would actually be easier when it comes to wearing masks. What, what do you think? Oh, it depends on the kid. And, it, and a lot of it depends on the teacher and their approach. And it also depends on the parents and their attitude toward it. If, if they're hearing parents bicker about it and be upset about it, then they're going to be resistant to it as well. But if parents be like, hey, we get to go back to school. This is how we're going to wear our mask. Let's practice wearing our mask for half an hour today. You know, it, it's really all in our approach. Do you, do you see uh, an eight-year-old, you know, a first grader, second grader, uh, wearing a mask for six hours straight? And, and what, what about, like, when we get to, I don't know, lunch and recess and things like that? What, 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 how do we deal with those situations? Well, we have to be reasonable, and I, I think um, kids, kids will adapt as we teach them, but there will be times that they're not going to wear them. There will be times when they're, they're going to need to take them off to eat their lunch or be outside. Um, but we want them in school, so we're going to give it a shot. And it's not going to be perfect, and they're going to mess with their mask. And I hate wearing a mask. Yeah. I mess with the mask, you know, but if it gets me into a store and it keeps my economy going, 
um, I'm going to try, you know, and, and I was one of these really adamant, like, I'm never wearing a mask. That's so dumb. But if it, if it shows that I'm trying to show respect for others, fear, because all of this is coming from fear-based worry about this virus. So if we think of it that way, instead of uh, either or or yes or no, um, yeah, we're going to just have to make some accommodations here and there. And teachers are real flexible. And if, it, if the student is freaking out about it and having a hard time wearing it, we're going to find a way to social distance them so they don't have to wear the mask as much. But really, I think the, the board will address all these concerns today in their meeting. Do you, as a teacher, have you been given any instructions yet on, on some of the scenarios that might arise? For instance, if maybe if a student shows up with symptoms, what to do in that case? Uh, or, or what if you start to feel sick? Have, you, have they gone over that yet with you? No, they have not. And I think that's, they've been kind of working on this plan, and it's going to be unveiled today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we just go from there. I know I know there's some teachers that are super worried. There are teachers that are high risk and really don't want to go back to school. So I think they're probably going to need to be a little bit of a balance with teachers that um, are okay and not nervous about the virus and are otherwise healthy that will be in the classroom and maybe um, other teachers will do more online instruction because they're high risk too. You know, we have to not just, we're very concerned about students, but we also have to keep in mind who's going to take over the class when the teacher gets sick. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Now I have a, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for teachers and the job you do the job. It, it's kind of weird. There's stressful jobs, you know, air traffic controller and, and things like that. But as far as being able to handle so many different stressful situations, I think teachers got to be at the, at the top of the list. Do you feel like that, the stress that's going to be added to your job with the, the mask ruling and stuff, is it, is it going to be too much maybe for some teachers to handle? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, the thing, the thing is with, with teachers, they're all not one mold. They're all not the same. Yeah. We're, and we're working with people. That's what we have to keep in mind is we're not robots and we're not perfect and we make mistakes. And there are teachers that, will have high anxiety around this because they have underlying health concerns or just have a hard time with management anyway. But we support each other and we lift each other up and we try to make things work. Instead of bickering one side or the other, we have to come up with solutions. How can we make this work? How can we make this better? And for some, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. With with uh, you said you don't have any students left in school uh, that, of your own. You don't have any kids of your own in, in school. Uh, if school, if you did, say you had a third grader and a seventh grader, uh, what would you, what would be your message to them as you got close to school? Um, you guys can do hard things. Hmm. Like kids, kids today, they they we we want to save them from everything. We want to protect them from everything, but but really teaching them that they can do hard things is so important and vital to their existence, especially in the world we're in right now. They're going to have to really toughen up and be able to stand for what they believe and think outside the box and be critical thinkers and problem solvers. They've, they've got to be able to adjust to what's happening around them. And so I really would just be like, okay, kids, this is what we're going to do and we're going to try it. It, it doesn't mean it's going to work. By all means, who knows what's going to happen. 
we might start and within a month, boom, we're back to online. We don't know. And that's the thing with this whole thing is, is it so many unknowns and it's, and that's the hard part. That's what creates the fear is the unknown. We right. just don't know what this virus is going to do or how kids are going to handle it or what teachers are going to do. It's, it's the unknown that makes us anxious and uncertain and feel fear. So, so we just got to kind of put one foot in front of the other. My, my dad always said, you just got to keep on moving. And we just got to keep on trying. We can't just just freak out and say, oh, I'm not wearing a mask and this is not going to happen. And we're just all just going to sit in our homes the rest of our lives. We got to continue to live. I like that. That's a, that's a great attitude. Like, like Dory and Finding Nemo, right? Just, just keep swimming. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about the online thing. Now you guys were, were throwing a major curveball back in the spring and, and where you had to all of a sudden convert everything you do to online teaching. Uh, first of all, how hard was that? Oh boy, that was not fun at all. And I know some people thought, oh, great, we get to just be home and teach online. It really wasn't fun at all and really took the human factor out. And a lot of teachers were not prepared or trained in technology to all of a sudden just be thrown into that. It was really difficult for some. We like to work together and try to figure things out. So some teachers would have to help other teachers to figure that out. But but it just, it, it really was hard, like difficult to, to take out that human factor. It mm. just became an office job. And teachers did an amazing, amazing job at trying to make that work and throw themselves into figuring that out and trying to be creative with Zoom meetings and trying to be fun for the kids and engaging and reading them stories online and taking them stuff door to door, dropping them off little games or play-doh or something to you know cheer these kids up because it was traumatic it was traumatic for teachers and it was traumatic for kids was there a, a certain amount of kids in particular that that did not respond at all to that i mean i, I get i i uh, for instance i have two daughters one of them thrived in the online uh, uh, uh version of school and the other one struggled and these are both really good students one loved it the other didn't love it so i imagine that i i mean like you said we're not it's not cookie cutter we're not all the same but there were there were probably some that really struggled huh oh yeah and and that's going to be the same in all things. You know, some people are just going to be better at certain things. They're going to pick things up quicker than other people. We all learn a different um, pace. We all have a different mindset. We come from different experience, our, our experience and our priorities and our beliefs. And all those things come together. And so it just kind of depends on where we're coming from. I know my daughter hated it, not because... She couldn't do the work. It was because she missed her friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah, it, it was. It, I, I had a daughter as a senior. I think you did too, as a senior in high school. Graduated yes. last in the spring, and well, it didn't really feel much like a graduation because I couldn't hang out with their friends. But uh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. So let, let's play some what ifs. What if uh, it doesn't work and we have to go back to online schooling? Is that is it going to work? Um, I think teachers are better prepared for this mm. if, if it does happen. I know um, the CARES Act is where the federal government has given money to the schools to help prepare teachers. Teachers are receiving two to three days extra of summer training um, to come up with a plan for the what if, for the just in case. 
So mm. I think teachers, once they have, they've kind of been in the trenches. They saw what worked and what didn't. And now they've been given a few more tools and a little bit more training. And teachers always have been flexible and they're just ones that are going to make it work. So if it does come to that, teachers will jump in with both feet like they did in March. Yeah, I have no doubt about that. They'll be enthusiastic and they'll and they'll get the job done. Now, what if uh, one of uh, one of the kids in your class? We're talking about second graders. What if one of the kids in your class comes down with COVID nineteen? What uh, What do you think you'll you'll need to do? Gosh, I, I don't know, and that's what I'm I'm looking forward to hearing from the board because that's got to be part of the plan, like mm-hmm. the steps of curtailing this virus like if if there is an outbreak if there is somebody exposed if a teacher gets it or if a student gets it or if a student comes from a family that has it at their home like does that whole class get quarantined does the whole school does just that student like there's there's some questions that need to be answered because i don't have those answers and i'm glad i'm not the one that has to make those decisions either because it's it's a big deal it's it's a I'm in the arena and I got to make some hard decisions. And so, so I think uh, we'll look to the school board to come with a a plan for that because, you know, inevitably someone is going to get sick. So, yeah. Yeah. Now you, you talked about fear and do you mind if I ask you, are you scared? Are you worried about this uh, overly? No, I, I'm more scared that we don't have school. Mm. Like I, I need school to start. Like I want to be in the classroom. I want to be with the kids. I, I know that the kids are missing school and have been traumatized and they need to get back into the classroom. And is it going to be normal? Is it going to look the same? It's not. It, let's be honest. It's not. But is it going to be better than trying to stay home and have parents try to manage four different levels and four different computers and four different teachers while trying to work and keep the economy going? I don't know. I I personally am not worried about all of the the ins and outs of what's going to happen. I'm more worried of it not happening. Mm. And it's not it's not about a paycheck. And I don't know. I don't. I've never met a teacher that went into teaching for the money. And you can argue whether it's enough <laughs> or not. But uh, I know that you and any of the teachers I've known, they did it because. They want to work with the kids. They want to help the kids. They want to, uh, you know, be there in their formative years and, and teach them how to do things. And uh, I really appreciate that. And I know that uh, that's been a little bit of a life's mission for you. And uh, and again, yeah. uh, thanks thanks for doing that. I hope it works out. I think that's the that's the big thing. Uh, and maybe that's the word uh, that that we use today. Hope we hope that things work out uh, and school can be somewhat normal this year, right? Right. And whatever whatever that looks like, okay, but at least we give it a shot. We give it a try. If it doesn't work out, we go back to online. But teachers are better prepared. Kids have seen it before. It won't be quite as traumatic. But, but we're all looking forward to being back together in a classroom, back together in a school. That school culture is, is huge for kids. And even, even my grown kids, with, with my daughter being a senior last year, like, like, I didn't think it would affect her as much as it did, but it, it did. Like, she was upset about it. She missed it. Yeah. She missed the school experience. It's, it's important to our community and our, and our livelihood and our economy and our well-being and our mental health. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And I appreciate your support and 
the way you have always backed teachers and the way you've always been a big um, big voice for education. Yeah. You've always always been like that, so Thank I appreciate you. that. Thank you. And I went to kindergarten, I think, five times in my life, once for myself and then <laughs> four times for four. No, actually six times. All five of my kids, I was in there hanging out with them. And, but, but, again, I appreciate all the service that you do. And like I said, teachers don't go into it for the money. That's That's for darn sure. So, all right, we, I got to let yeah. you go. I got another guest coming on. Thank you so much for uh, calling in today awesome. and for being a part of the show. And it's going to be an interesting school board meeting today, isn't it? It sure is. And I, I hope people tune in and listen with an open heart, an open mind, and just try to support what they come up with and see how it goes. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you today. Good to talk to you. Thanks. Welcome back to the program. Thank you to Mrs. J. She wanted to remain anonymous uh, the first half of the show to talk about uh, some of the challenges she's going to be facing as an elementary school. Uh, and now we have a special guest on, and her name is Meg Johnson. And a lot of you, if you uh, are into LDS culture a little bit, probably know who Meg Johnson is. Meg, good, uh, good morning. How are you today? Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. My, it's absolutely my pleasure. I've been able to watch some of the stuff that you do online and with your app. Which uh, tell me the name of the app again? I always forget the correct wording. That's, it's the rturtlehouse.com app. It's our Turtle House app. Our Turtle House. And then what I did, all I did was I went to my app store and searched Turtle House because I couldn't remember the first word, and, and it came right up there for me, and I was able to download it. Very cool. Lots of inspirational words on there. Uh, and Meg, I, you know, I, I really, I don't, you know, people that don't know you probably are like, why is he having this lady on? What is, what's so special about her? And, and of course, mm-hmm. we, all, we always feel that way about ourselves, what's so special about me. But can you maybe tell us your story on kind of how you arrived at where you are in life and, and and uh, why you have our turtle house. Yes, uh, I love to do that. My um, So what I am now is I'm a speaker, and I, I have some books and some CDs, and I'm not a singer. Sometimes when I say I have CDs, people think I'm a singer. I'm Come not on, a singer. sing I for us. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I do have a CD where it's called Off Key and In Tune. And I do sing in that, but it's very badly. Really? <laughs> Off Key and In Tune. That, that would describe my life a lot, of, a, a lot as well. A lot of the ways. Um, anyway, so just the power of music. And I like to, you know, I just like to talk about the things that, you know, my, because I think being happy is a struggle. And then we have to fight for that happiness. And so hmm. really what I talk about is, you know, the skills and the tricks and how we can be happy no matter what happens or doesn't happen in our lives. And um, what happened in my life was I got paralyzed down in St. George when I was oh, wow. 22 years old. And we're not, not going to ask how long ago that was because that would give your age away. So I was about to tell you. <laughs> uh, but you, so you were you were rock climbing or something like that. Is that how it happened? I was uh, hiking. I was just hiking. I was mm-hmm. um, down there. Just I wasn't anywhere crazy. A lot of times when I tell people I was paralyzed in southern Utah, they imagine like the big red rock. Oh yeah, Angel Falls or something. Yeah, Arches, or Angels Landing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was I was down there um, near the rock called Turtle Rock. And I was jumping on the boulders, and I was jumping around that area. And I saw this one rock or boulder, and I jumped for it. And on accident, I just jumped off the cliff. Oh, my goodness. So was it, was, I, it fur, further away, was it further away than you thought or closer than you thought? Or how did that happen? I think that's exactly what happened is I just wasn't used to the terrain, and, you know, everything kind of blends together. And so I just jumped for this 
mountaintop that was far away. I don't know. Wow. And I fell about 45 feet to the ground where I, where I broke my arms, my legs, and my collarbone, and then four bones in my neck. Oh, my goodness. And so one of them was crushed, and they removed it. And so I have a donor's bone. Resurrection is going to be awesome. <laughs> and so now, I, now I'm now i a C7 quadriplegic paralyzed from the chest down without the use of my hands. Oh, wow. So, so, so I, I got to ask you before we move on that I've always wondered. Now I went cliff jumping when I was, a, when I was a kid, but we jumped into water uh, and, and I was never injured. But I, I always wondered as this is going on, do you remember specifically what was going through your mind as it was happening? And then right after it happened? Yes. I remember both of those things. Um, after I jumped off the cliff, like the time slowed down, it felt like everything was in slow motion and I was just, hovering um wow. i knew what i i knew what i'd done like immediately i knew that i had i knew that i had jumped off the cliff um and so i reached for the rock that i'd been standing on you know and i couldn't reach them or at least i don't remember reaching them um and i closed my eyes really tight and i was like i'm gonna fall and that's all i remember at the top i don't remember falling or anything i kind of had the initial sensation of falling and then i felt like i went up and then I don't remember anything till I was on the ground. And then when I woke up on the ground, um, I had, I was like in the only Meg-sized patch of dirt that was there, like this red dirt. Um, everything else was jagged rock. All around me was oh, wow. jagged rock, except for what I was on. So really, even though I broke everything, I think I had the, the least amount of damage that you could have had landing on that area. So what you're saying is you, you probably should have died. Yeah, any, any, I mean, you know, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any, any, a few feet, any direction, and, and uh, yeah, you'd hit those rocks. Wow, wow, what an experience. Now, as you're, were you down there? I mean, I, I'm curious as to how you got rescued and how the whole thing came about after that. Do you remember any of that? I do, yeah, I remember. I remember, um, and I also, the things that I don't remember were told to me seven years later by the rock climber who was with me. Because oh. he never, he only knew my first name, you know, Meg. And so he called the hospital trying to find me after after I'd been taken away by the um, paramedics. But my real name is Margaret. And so, you know, mm. calling all the hospitals wasn't giving him any information because they didn't have a Meg there. Yeah. Oh, man, that and poor so, guy. I know he didn't know what happened to me until seven years later when his mom was in an audience and she recognized the story and told him. And then he, he found me and told me the rest of the story. And so it's pretty cool. We're still friends. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, so I was with my boyfriend at the time and my boyfriend was, um, like we had separated for a short time and he went to go watch some rock climbers and I went to go jump on the boulders. And then he found me after I was paralyzed. And he ran to get the rock climbers that he'd just been watching. And so then they were with me and my boyfriend was panicking. So the one rock climber took him away. And then I was with the other rock climber. His name was Rob. And Rob told me that I kept telling him, like, my fingertips hurt. Why do my fingertips hurt, you know? Hmm. And, you know, I've got blood coming out of my mouth, bones poking through the skin. Like, there's Oof. this, like, really a bad situation. He's like, your fingertips hurt, huh? Tell me all about it. Like, how bad do they hurt? <laughs> oh, man. On yeah. a scale of one to ten. Oh my goodness. And so anyway, um he told me that the that I kept telling him, I was like, Call my mom, you know, tell her I'm okay and 
He's like, that's probably not a good idea. Because like, <laughs> you weren't okay. <laughs> and like this strange man, he's like, I'm with your daughter. Don't worry. Fine. <laughs> yeah, not too many moms want to hear that one either. <laughs> Who is this? What are you talking about? Yeah, no, he didn't call her. And um, so then he told me he felt bad for like seven years. He's like, I've deprived her of the last conversation for months. No, but he's okay. Um, and then I kept telling him, I was like, I left my sweater up there. You know, I need you to get my sweater. I was very concerned <laughs> about this article of clothing. <laughs> That darn sweater. We got to get the sweater. I'm, I'm I'm bleeding and everything's broken, but I need my sweater. I know. Where's my coat? Um, I remember that people coming and I was still laying on the ground. You know, and this my the guy Rob. He'd been recertified in first aid and CPR just a week before. So even though there was nothing he could do, he totally knew that. And so I think it takes more confidence not to do something. Sometimes. Oh yeah. And he had that. So. Um, that 911, he was on the phone with them, and they wanted me to keep talking. So that's how all of that came out with, I need you to cut my sweater, and I want you to call my mom. But um, the ambulance, the people came, and everyone was running and stomping around. I could feel the vibrations of their feet, you know, like as I was laying there with my face in the dirt. And I remember thinking, I was like, what is everybody's problem? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, what's, what's the I big deal, I, right? I'm. Yeah. They can see your bones sticking out, but what's the big deal? <laughs> Calm down. I just had so much peace, you know, and it was okay. It was okay. It was not a scary day for me. It was a very scary day for my for my boyfriend and for everyone else, but yeah. for me, it was it was okay. You know, it was okay. Wow. And they flew me up to LDS Hospital in Salt Lake City because right now, I mean, it's been 16 years. Everyone knows I'm 38. Um, <laughs> now, you told them. So I didn't. <laughs> And so the hospital in St. George is uh, equipped now, and they're bigger, and, and they can handle something like this now. But 16 years ago, they couldn't handle mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so um, from what I understand, it was actually my legs that was the biggest problem. Both both my femurs were broken. Um, they maybe could have handled my arms, and they maybe could have handled just my neck, but having the combination of my legs and my neck and my arms was too much for them. So they put me on a plane and took me up to LDS Hospital in Salt Lake City, um, where I was pronounced a quadriplegic, paralyzed from my chest down without the use of my hands. Like, wow. So, so um, it was hard. <laughs> do, do you remember when they told you that? I mean, did, was it like one moment they said, okay, here you are, here you're paralyzed? Or, or was it a kind of a series of, well, this might work, well, this doesn't work? How did that, how did that all come about? Yeah, they knew exactly what had happened and what the prognosis was going to be right away. They didn't know if I was going to eventually get something back, but they were pretty sure that I wouldn't because there's things called complete and incomplete um, spinal cord injuries. Mm-hmm. And mine was mine was a complete spinal cord injury, like it was severed. Oh, wow. Like my spinal cord was, you know, was, was smashed that much. Cut in half, yeah. And so um, the even though I wouldn't make it to the rehabilitation unit for four months, the doctor that I would have in rehab um, would visit me in shock trauma. So, so, and he would, I remember everyone coming to shock trauma and having me touch my nose and then touch in the air and touch my nose and touch in the air. And I didn't know why. I thought it was an exercise I was supposed to be doing. So I would do it when people weren't there. But what they would, what they were trying to see was if I had tricep muscles or not. Oh. 
hmm. because I was right on the right on the verge of maybe not having tricep muscles, maybe having tricep muscles. Um, and I do. I have triceps. I know this is a radio show, but that is a super cool muscle to have. <laughs> I, yeah, we, we pretty much all of us take it for granted, but I, I imagine you weren't at all taking it for granted at the time. Okay, let's do this, Meg. Um, take a quick time out. When we come back, I want to talk about your your how you how you handled that. Uh, well, uh, obviously, pretty bad news, and how you've been able to overcome it, and, and where you've gotten to, gotten to today. Uh, if you'll hold on, that okay? Okay, thanks, Andy. All right, hold on just just a minute. Real quick, a uh, great sponsor of the show is Joe Shoney. He is a loan consultant, and his focus is customer service. And uh, so if you go online, he has a, a, there's a website out there that for reviews called socialsurvey.me, and Joe has 490, no, excuse me, 384 reviews, and he averages 4.91 out of five stars on his reviews. Customer service is the best thing that he does as a loan officer. Uh, here's one. Elizabeth says, this is the second time I've had the pleasure of working with Joe, it's clear he truly cares about what he's doing. He and his team did our original mortgage, then our uh, then our refi. His whole team is awesome, and someone is always there to answer questions. Uh, this is Brett. Brett says Joe and Sue Shoney are experts and work around the clock to satisfy their clients. They come highly recommended. Those were two five star reviews. Just uh, just a small sampling of a bunch of five star reviews for Joe Shoney. Give him a call today and find out for yourself what customer service is all about at four three five five nine zero sixty three hundred, or you can email him. Joe.shoney at nafinc.com. Welcome back to the program. I have a great guest on today. Her name is Meg Johnson. Meg is a motivational speaker. She's got an app out there called Our Turtle House. And uh, Meg, thanks again for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure. We're right in the middle of the story, and it's a little cliffhanger here. No pun intended there on the cliffhanger, <laughs> but uh, you had just uh, you had jumped off uh, jump, jumping boulders, and you missed one kind of. It was further than you thought. You went down. You got in this hor- horrific fall. Uh, broke your legs, your arms. You broke. Uh, I don't know what. What did I mean? I know the the neck. Uh, you uh, broke uh, and actually severed your spinal cord, and they had to tell this 22 year old vibrant young lady that. Uh, she was going to be a quadriplegic. Uh, what was your first reaction, Meg? Well, my, I remember being told, and the first things out of my mouth was, I don't believe in being paralyzed. Mm. And, you know, there's really no, I mean, I currently, right now, talking to you, I'm sitting in a wheelchair. My legs don't work. My hands don't work. Like, I am paralyzed. But I think that we don't have to stay paralyzed even if we can't move does that make sense yes it does i think well i think you need to expand a little more and tell us what you mean though well i really think that um sometimes we feel like this life gives us you know really difficult challenges and trials that are seemingly you know that we can't overcome them um when and we might not be able to like honestly my mom's always saying like this too shall pass but some things don't pass some things Mm. are sticking around but that doesn't mean we don't we don't get to have happiness and joy and have a good time and still, you know, still accomplish what it is we came to this earth to accomplish. I think that, you know, our purpose in life is not just because of our strengths, but it's equally because of our weaknesses and limitations. And those two combined, as you find people to serve, um, uncover your purpose and your mission in this life. 
But but Meg, it would be so easy to say, "Oh, poor me." Every one of us has some kind of "Oh, poor me" situation. I was in a motorcycle wreck a few years back. I have a limp. I'm you know I've had two back surgeries, but uh, so it'd be easy for me to say, "Oh gosh, you know that's just not fair. Life's not fair." And 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 certainly you would have of of anybody that's still living amongst us, you would have a reason to say, "Oh, poor me. I feel bad for myself, and everyone should feel bad for me." Why isn't that the case then, Meg? Well, I just honestly believe that um, your strengths give you the ability to accomplish, you know, wonderful things, you know, successes and have these successes in your life. But your trials that you experience open doors and offer perspective. And so your car accident and your motorcycle accident, your back surgeries and the time you spend in preparing for the back surgery and experiencing the back surgery and then recovering from the back surgery Mm. and then everything you have since the back surgery, those give you so much perspective and give you different, different ideas and different outlooks on things and also put you in different places to accomplish missions and fulfill purposes in this life, you know? It just gives you different, it just gives you that foundation to accomplish what it is you came to do. You have to have both strengths and weaknesses. And when you find people to serve, you find your purpose. Oh, but but weaknesses are no fun, and trials are really no fun, Meg. I mean, you know, I I understand it's the whole you you got you don't know hot unless you've experienced cold, and and vice versa. But sometimes, especially when in the midst of the trials, uh, it's really hard. Will you talk about now after they told you you were paralyzed? Uh, how did you overcome that trial? How did it make you, in fact, better? Well, um, I. And people might be like, oh, well, she just was, you know, awesome from the get-go. Not that I'm awesome. You know what I'm saying? But, like, <laughs> no, no, I know she what you just mean. has this vivacious personality that, like, enabled it, you know, to make it so much easier for her. But I remember being in the hospital, and I was just overcome with sadness, and I was crying. But, you know, I had tubes in my mouth, in my nose, in my arms, in my chest. Oh. Um, they tied my arms to the bed because they thought I had brain damage, which I don't. And, of course, I'm paralyzed, and I've got the metal halo screwed into my head, and I started to cry, you know, and the tears didn't have anywhere to go except for, like, into the tape that was covering my face. And uh, and I was intubated. You know, that's a hot word right now with the virus. Yeah, yeah, the tube down your throat. Yuck. Oh, my heavens. There's there's nothing worse than that. Um, and And I was alone in my hospital room, and I looked to the, you know, and I'm so sad. I don't know what to do. And so I... I pray, you know, I think when your life is a trial, you form a relationship with God, whether it's good or bad, it's up to us, but we mm-hmm. just do. Mm-hmm. And and I prayed, and I prayed for love for the ceiling, because that's what I was staring at. <laughs> and it felt a little better, and then I looked out the window, and I prayed for love for the window. And wait, 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 I gotta say, you prayed for love for the ceiling. That's what you yeah, said, right? Yeah, because that's, <laughs> that's all I could see at the time, because I was on my back in the hospital room. Wow, wow, and, did you count the dots and stuff? I love this dot and this dot. <laughs> I, you know, it just the whole feeling. I just wanted to love the whole feeling. And then wow. everything, the hospital visitor's chair and the TV and the light switch. And by the time I'd named everything in the room that I could see, <laughs> um, I was crying again. But oh. I was crying because I was so happy. Wow. Like, I'd gone from being so sad to the point of tears to being so happy to the point of tears simply by loving everything that was around me and praying for that love. And I think sometimes when we get into that, woe is me, this trial is too hard. We forget that we can have gratitude even for things that don't seem like they're worthy of gratitude. Um, but when we can muster that up, 
uh, we discover a new level of joy that has nothing to do with our circumstances. That's incredible. I, you know, I, I mean, we, we are, I know I am caught up in everyday things, whether it's, you know, I'm in pain or I ate too much or I didn't eat enough or I'm hungry or I'm, um, it's hot, you know, down here in St. George, we're 105 today. Uh, oh, heavens. It's already mid-90s and it's 9.30, almost 10 o'clock in the morning. It, it's, it, we get so caught up in, in momentary stuff. It's hard to have that perspective, Meg, but you seem to have uh, gotten gotten pretty good at that. Now, what, did you have any way to communicate at that point? I, I, I blinks. Was that about it or? No, I, um, yeah, I blinks is, is about it. Like I wow. blink once for yes, think twice for no. And that, that was it. <laughs> did you, this is a weird question, but did, did you miss like tasting good food and stuff? I mean, how long did they have you where you couldn't even, you couldn't even eat, swallow or anything? I know it was awful. Four months. Four, Four months I couldn't months. drink or eat. And they stopped brushing my teeth because I kept sucking the water off the toothbrush. <laughs> oh, man. All <laughs> right. Well, t- talk about, we're, we only have about four and a half minutes left. Talk about where you are now. Uh, I think it's pretty inspiring, the, the fact that uh, you're living a somewhat normal life now. Oh, I am. I have two little girls, one six and one three. I have a wow. husband. He's super hot. I have a wheelchair accessible garden. Like, my life is so wonderful. And sometimes I forget. I'm like, wow, my life is so perfect. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can't walk. Besides <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, other than the walking thing. Yeah. And you can taste food anyway, right? Yeah, and I can eat and I can drink. And I still have scars from, you know, quite a few scars from what has happened. But none of them are on my heart. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm okay. What what would you say now? This is a hard question. What is your biggest strength right now? That's the easy part. The, what is your biggest weakness besides the obvious fact that you can't use your arms and legs? My biggest weakness is um, goodness. Like sometimes it's you know pride or, or pride something. really. And so sometimes I'm like, man, what does God have to do to me to like teach me? No, <laughs> like I'm going to put this girl in a wheelchair. Let's see if she learns that. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Wow. Like this patience, you know, we, we want what we want right now, and it would be great to have what we want. But, you know, we just got to take things day at a time, I guess. And it's easier said than done. But I, I have a course that I wrote on the Our Turtle House um, app is Happiness 101. And it's the skills that I have, they're tried and true skills that I think are very important for overcoming any trial, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's not because I'm a vivacious, charismatic person. I am a fighter. I fight to be happy. I have, and I have to fight all the time. Gratitude is a skill that anybody can implement in their life so that they can reach that level of happiness and service and, you know, and all these little different skills that no matter what kind of personality you have, you can apply them so that you can have the happiness that you have and that you want no matter what's going on or not going on in your life. No, that's, that's incredible. What an incredible attitude uh, you have. Uh, how is parenting as a quadriplegic? I mean, you can't obviously spank anybody or anything like that. <laughs> well, anytime they do something bad or like run away from me, I just pretend like that's what I wanted them to do anyway. I'm like, you're free. Like, that's what I want for you. My kids learned um, independence very early on. It's my disability has made way for their abilities. So even though it's not preferred, it's not how I imagine myself as a mom, um, 
I there are some definite advantages. My my six year old, I mean, she I give her a full chore chart with vacuuming and sweeping and mopping on Saturday, and she doesn't need any help. My three year old wow. can um, like they they come home, they take the initiative, they do full loads of laundry. They if they want to hang a picture on a wall, they don't even ask me. You know, they're <laughs> they're like, oh, I just wanted to put this here. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So, and I think that's something every parent maybe can can do if they just kind of take a step back so their kids can take a step forward. But, you know, there are some things that were hard, like changing a diaper, using your teeth to pull off the straps. Isn't oh, that, you know, oh, we do what we got to yeah, do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I used to go through about 10 wipes per diaper when I was when I was doing it back in the day because I didn't want anything to touch me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. I was wearing masks long before coronavirus. <laughs> Oh man! Well, we're we're sure we only have a minute left. Um, you, you talked about service now. When I think of service, uh, you know, oh, pulling the, the widow's uh, weeds, uh, or mowing the lawn for the for the old guy that can't mow his lawn, or uh, you know, I, I remember once we helped wire a guy's house. I hope he I hope his electricity stayed on. But anyway, oh. uh, you, I, how would how do you who don't don't have the use of your arms and legs? How do you serve people? I use my grocery shopping trip um, as my service project for the week. Like, I'll, I'll make sure I smile at everybody and mm. give them compliments. Um, and everyone says the same thing. They're like, oh, you made my day. You know, mm-hmm. I think that those smaller services, um, and we just got to serve where we can because not everybody can go, you know, wire a guy's house. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. everybody can smile and everybody can compliment um, and everyone can do what they can do. And when you do that, You'll discover, um, how is it? I sought my God. Let's see. I sought myself and myself I couldn't see. I sought my God and my God eluded me. I sought my brother and found all three. William, uh, William Blake. Awesome. Meg, we're out of time. Thank you so much for brightening our day this morning and for inspiring us. And may we all serve like you do. Oh, thank you so much, Andy. I really, really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day.